Do this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. A very warm welcome to Torah Studies. So tonight we have a very special class. Tonight's topic is the informal topic, not the formal topic. The informal topic is a tale of two circumcisions. Now I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. It's supposed to be a tale of two cities. I know it's supposed to be a tale of two cities. Nonetheless, tonight we're going to be doing a tale of two circumcisions. And you know what? I don't mind even telling you off the bat who, which two circumcisions I'm talking about. I'm talking about Abraham and Moses. There you go. Cats out of the bag, my friends. The Abrahamic circumcision and the Mosaic circumcision. A tale of two Brit Milot. Okay, now, um, so let's get some context. <laughs> Why we talk about circumcision, what's going on, what's the context. So here's a little bit of background. This week's Torah portion is the third Torah portion in Torah. So we have the Torah portion of Bereshit, which um, is the beginning. It talks about creation. And in the Hasidic tradition, the first Torah portion starts off strong, right? The Torah starts off strong. There's creation. It's looking good. There's so much hope. It's phenomenal. But as things kind of uh, progress, mankind gets corrupt. So the Torah portion of Bereshit ends on a sour note with the corruption of mankind and God's stated intention to destroy, destroy humanity and, or really destroy the whole world. The second Torah portion starts, Noach starts on a negative note. So again, the first one starts positive and ends negative. The second one starts negative with the destruction of mankind, Noah, the, uh, the, the great flood, Noah's Ark, and, but, but ends on a positive note, and the positive, the positive note being the birth of Abraham. It's, the, it's finally the third Torah portion. This week's Torah portion, Lech Lecha, which is a happy Torah portion from beginning to end. Now, you may know this, and some of you really know this because you join me every single day at 12. Um, every day you're supposed to study a little bit of Torah. And the Torah portion, every Torah portion is divided into seven readings, which is great because you could study one per day. So you don't have to wait till Shabbat to study the Torah portion. Already on Sunday, you're studying reading one of the upcoming portion. And Monday the second reading, and Tuesday, the third reading, and so on and so forth. So every day this... I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, Rabbi. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's not that happy when you have to memorize it all. That's true. So Chaz and Ben, you as a cantor, and as a chanter, and as a reader, you're right. There's, uh, it comes with strings attached. But nonetheless, when we're talking about the stories themselves, every day, Sunday, we're, with, we're living with Abraham. Two, um, after Sunday, of course, comes Monday. Monday, we're living with Abraham. Tuesday, we're living with Abraham. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every single day, we're living with Abraham. And that, my friend, my friends, is a very happy conversation. So, here's, we're in the third Torah portion. We're in Lech Lecha. We're living with Abraham. And, and as we encounter this story, it's really powerful. Because here's a fellow, namely Abraham, who grew up, Grew up steeped in idolatry. His family, his community, his, his everything was steeped in idolatry. And that, that was the normal. And he goes totally counterculture, totally against everything that everyone knew and everything everyone believed in. And he, and he discovers God and he says, no, everything else is Baba Mises. The sun is not in control. The moon is not in control. The wind is not in control. The stars are not in control. <coughs> the planets are not in control. What's in control? There's a force greater than everything <coughs> that is actually in control. And that is God, monotheism. And then, not only that, he wants to teach it to people. He wants to debunk, to debunk idolatry and to teach everyone the truth. This is Abraham. Abraham's a rock star. And he does so for decades. And he gives us, he's ready to give his life for his beliefs. He's thrown into a furnace. Miraculously, he emerges. No one told Nimrod it was one of those electric ones. You had to plug it in. I'm joking. That's a ter that's a t no. He was a he was miraculously saved. Sorry. So here's the point. Here's the point. Um, Abraham is a rock star. At the age of seventy five, beginning of this week's Torah portion, Lech Lecha, God calls on Abraham, Lech Lecha, Miyartzecha, Mimola, 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 Mimola,
Leave your birthplace, leave your father's house, leave everything that you know and everything that you're comfortable with and go where? Go to the land that I will show you. The, un, the unknown land. The land that I can't tell you where it is. This is, the, uh, this is an act of faith. Will Abraham follow blindly? And the answer, of course, is yes, he does. And the Torah portion continues that he arrives with his wife and his nephew, Sarah and, and Lot, his nephew. They arrive in the land of Canaan, which would become the land of Israel later on. And then there's a famine, and that's another test. He sticks with God. He goes to Egypt. There's another challenge. His wife is abducted, but she's freed, and he ends up accumulating great wealth. Challenge after challenge. Eventually, there's, a, there's an issue with Lot's nephew, and they separate ways, but then his nephew is captured in war. So he has to fight a war to get, to get his nephew back, to rescue his nephew. Hey, Eli. And hey, Amy. Good to see you guys. Eli, our youngest student, our youngest Torah scholar. Loving that. All right. So, so Abraham is a, is, a, is a rock star. He lives decade after decade just with a rich life. This Torah portion details so much of it. At the end of the Torah portion, we have God's commandment to Abraham at the ripe old age of 99. Abraham has seen a thing or two. Abraham has gone through so much. He discovered God at three years old. And he's still keeping the faith and, and following God unconditionally. Then what happens at 99? God says, you're still incomplete. I need you to do something. Enter into a very special covenant with me. And then you're going to be the tamim. And you will be complete. And what is this special covenant? It's the covenant of Milah, Brit Milah, the covenant of circumcision. So do a Brit Milah, do a circumcision, and now we're going to have this covenant. Um, let's read the covenant together. We're going to open up. Okay, here we go. I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's jump straight into the Torah text. All right. Here we go. Give me a second here. Okay, here we go. I'm going to make it bigger so we can see. Let's ask, who should we ask to read? Ray, are you up to reading? All right, don't forget to unmute yourself. I'm going to make it bigger just because it's way too small here. All right, tell me if you got it. Yes, we can hear you. You're good. And God said to Abraham, and you shall keep my covenant, you and your seed after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall observe between me and between you and between your seed after you, that every male among you be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be as the sign of a covenant between me and between you. And at the age of eight days, every male shall be circumcised to you throughout your generations, one that is born in the house or one that is purchased with money from any foreigner who is not of your seed. Thank you. Thank you for that. So essentially, here the Torah uh, tells the story of this covenant where Hashem, where God says to Avram, to Abraham, he says, this is going to be the covenant. It's with you and your children. And the covenant is the circumcision. And the circumcision is a, and I don't know if I can highlight it. Let me see if I, no, I can't highlight it. It's not, uh, no, it's not text. Okay, but I'm, I'm referring to where, like this, can you see the little hand? Is the hand moving around? Okay, great. Yeah. So then I'm going to hover around the paragraph that I'm referring to. Look at this. It shall be a, as the sign of a covenant between me and between you. So the covenant is the covenant, and I should probably explain what that is. The covenant is Hashem saying, God saying, I'm with you, and Abraham saying, and I'm with you. We're in it together. We're in it to win it. So um, that's the covenant. And what's the sign? The sign is Brit Milah, the circumcision. And although Abraham was 99, for all subsequent progeny, it's not meant to be done at the age of 99 years old. It's meant to be done at eight days old. So that is the time of circumcision, eight days old. Okay, 
So let me stop sharing for a second and let's, uh, let's schmooze about that. Ever since it's been the family tradition, the Abrahamic family tradition, that boys at the, at the age of eight days are circumcised. And this tradition has continued, well, it continued with Isaac and then Jacob and then Jacob's children, etc., etc., the 12 tribes and their children and for hundreds of years. And then, yes, go ahead. Alex, yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, what the last sentence. Uh, can you elaborate about the foreigner? I, I didn't quite understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, the, the law is that if a person has a servant, if, if, if a Jew, if, if back in the day, if a Jew had a servant, so, and it's not, it's not slavery, as we've talked about this many times, um, it's not the, the slavery that, we, that we've rejected, it's a, in some sort of servitude where the individual is working in a full-time fashion, etc. So this individual becomes part of the family. And therefore, the Torah says that if you're part of the family, then you observe this tradition as well. So this, this servant um, would also have, be obligated to, to, to do the Brit Milah, to do the circumcision. It's interesting, there are actually many commentaries on it explaining like, the spiritual significance of it, all in very beautiful ways, but that's, I'm giving you the basic, the basic meaning of it and that, uh, that concept. So, again, and Abraham did it, and Isaac, so Abraham did it in 99, Isaac did it eight days, Jacob did it eight days, and it went on for hundreds of years. And then, fast forward to the times of the Exodus. So what happens? So the Jews are in Egypt, and the Exodus, right, happens, ten plagues, splitting of the sea, and the special moment at Sinai. What happens at Mount Sinai? So you and I know what happens at Mount Sinai is God gave us the Torah. Now, we have immediately at Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments, but Moses goes up the mountain and gets the rest of the law and unpacks it, you know, slowly over time, unpacks it and gives it to the people. Well, one of the laws that was repeated at Mount Sinai to God, or that was taught to Moses by God at Mount Sinai, one of the 613 mitzvot that God gave Moses is the law of circumcision. Now, I'm going to share my screen with you, and I'm going to tell you why this is significant in a moment, but let's just read this text and get, a, uh, get an understanding of what's going on. Okay, text two is coming from the book of Vayikra Leviticus. Alex, if you don't mind, <coughs> please read text number two. And, and on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. There we go. A very sim a similar sounding commandment, right? On the eighth day, circumcision. This is in the book of Leviticus. And it was a mitzvah that God gave Moses at Mount Sinai. So hence the tale of two circumcisions. We have the commandment given to Abraham. Are you with me on this? There's God's commandment to Abraham about circumcision. And then God's commandment to Moses and the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. A tale of two circumcisions. The Abrahamic circumcision and the Mosaic circumcision. The one that God ta taught Abraham and the one that God instructed to Moses and the Jewish people in the year 2448 from creation. Okay. Um, by the way, the Exodus happens in the year 2448. Abraham was born in 1948. How many years difference do we have? What's 2448 minus 1948? Where are all my math gurus at? 2448 minus 1948. 500? 500 on the dot. So from the time that, that Abraham is born until the time of the Exodus which was the same year as the splitting of the sea, and as a revelation at Sinai, we have 500 years. Now, Abraham got circumcised not when he was born, but 99 years later, which means that there's a gap of 401 years between Abraham's circumcision, his commandment to be circumcised, and God's commandment at Sinai that the Jewish people uh, perform this mitzvah. Now, you might think, well, who cares? God told Abraham, God told Moses, he wanted circumcision done, so he said it twice, right? What's the big deal? Well, here's a very important wrinkle. There's something that's very important when it comes to this conversation. 
And that is, and that is that when it comes to the mitzvot that we perform today, Maimonides Rambam writes that we do not do a mitzvah because God told a patriarch or whoever it was, you know, personally, the mitzvot that we do today are specifically and exclusively done because God commanded us at Mount Sinai through Moses. Let's read this inside, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. This is going to be text 3 from Rambam, from Maimonides. All right, it's on the next page. Um, hold on. Did I skip something here? Nope, it's a long Hebrew and a very short English. I'm assuming that's paraphrased. Okay, um, Mike. Mike Carter, are you up to reading? Yes. All right. Top of page 32 where it says an important principle to keep in mind. An important principle to keep in mind is that anything we are obligated to refrain from or do today, we do only because God commanded so through Moses and not because of a command given by God to one of the messengers who preceded him. Listen, it's very, very important to understand what he's saying. Maimonides says, any mitzvah that we have, whether it's a positive commandment to do something or a negative commandment to refrain from doing something, any mitzvah that we have today, we only do it because God commanded us to do it through Moses, not because of any other message that God gave to any of the other messengers who preceded him, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, including Adam and Eve, including Noah, you know this, the Noahide laws? Yeah, the Noahide laws? Yeah. So we actually, the fact that we don't eat, um, we don't eat limbs from a live animal, which is a prohibition, right? Abraham and Achai. We don't do that, not because God taught Noah that, or because God prohibited Noah from doing that. We, we don't do that. That's a mitzvah, that's a thing, because God said it to Moses. So Rambam Maimonides has a very important klal, which means a general rule. Any mitzvah that we observe today, it's because it was taught, it was given to the Jewish people at Sinai through Moses. So David Lazan is asking a great question. What about be fruitful and multiply? It was given to Adam and Eve. What, that doesn't apply today? The implication is that it was repeated again to Moses and Moses repeated to the people. And we keep it today because of the Sinai commandment and not the one given to Adam. Again, this is, these are not my words. These are straight from Maimonides. Maimonides says any mitzvah that we do or any prohibition that we don't do, that's a mitzvah. It's based on God to Moses at Sinai to tell the Jewish people not based on God's communication with any other messenger that preceded him. It preceded Moses, including Adam and Eve, including Noah, including the patriarchs and matriarchs. That's not why we do a mitzvah. Chaz and Ben, go ahead. So, so here, here's my problem with all this. My problem is that God says to Abraham, Vakimoti et briti itach. I make my covenant with you. Okay, that's God in the Bible, God to, to Abraham. How can, I mean, with all due respect to my Maimonides, I love him, I, I greatly respect his commentaries, right? How, however, 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 <laughs> how can he possibly say that when God in the text, okay, this is shocked. He says, I make my covenant with you. Excellent now, question. Here comes my mind, as great as he is, as great as he is, and says, wait a minute. Now, that's not what God meant. So how do we reconcile that? I mean, I mean, Excellent question. Hold on. So one second. I, I got the question. One, I got the question. So, I mean, so I'm going to restate the question. And in fact, I'm going to present the text. I'm going to present the text that even enhances your question, even makes your question even stronger, because you're asking a good question. So Maimonides says we only keep mitzvot, and this is a general statement from Maimonides. Every mitzvah we do today, it's because of God to Moses at Sinai. Yeah, but God told Abraham, you and your children. No. Why isn't that good enough? And how, does that not, how is that not valid? 
Furthermore, are you ready for the furthermore? This is where I add on to your question and we're going to make it even stronger. All right. Here, let me share my screen with you again. And let's take a look at the Talmud. Text number four. Take a look. This is the dialogue. This is what's said at the Brit Milah. Sarah Carter, if you are available to read, please read text number four. Okay. The father of the boy says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to enter him into the covenant of Abraham our father. Oh, hey, oh, what's going on here? Look at the bracha. What's the bracha? Asher kedeshanu b'mitzotav tzivanu lahachniso b'vrito shel Avraham Avinu. What's the blessing? God, you gave us a commandment. And what's the mitzvah? What's the commandment? To enter the child into the covenant of whom? Not of Moses. Not of Sinai. But of Abraham. So what's going on here? Which circumcision are we doing? Is it the Abrahamic circumcision? Is it the Mosaic circumcision? Again, I want to be very clear as to what the question is. There are two verses that command circumcision. Text number one from Genesis, our Torah portion. God tells Abraham, you and your children, I want you to do this mitzvah. That's one mitzvah. Then we have in Leviticus, once again, another mitzvah. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Again, that is a mitzvah. That is there. Leviticus 12.3 says that. And that was taught to Moses at Mount Sinai. And Moses, it gets unpacked and written down. It ends up in Leviticus 12.3. And so we have two commandments, two instructions regarding circumcision. One to Abraham, one to Moses and to the Jewish people. And Maimonides text 3 gives us a general framework, a general rule. We keep mitzvah today because of what God told Moses, not, of, not because of what God told anyone else. And the question is, number one, well, God did tell someone else, in this case, Abraham. And that was Chazen Ben's question. And, and, and the question, and, and question based on text four is, in the literal text of the bracha, we say, God, you gave us the mitzvah. And what is the nature of the mitzvah to enter him, the child, into the covenant of Abraham? So how can you tell me that it's not Abraham's bris? It's not Abraham's covenant. It's Mo it doesn't say to enter into the, the covenant of Moshe, of Moses. It says the covenant of Abraham. So which will the real circumcision please stand up? Will the real meaning of the mitzvah, right? Whatever. <laughs> right? Announce itself. What, what are we doing? Is it, is it a throwback to Abraham? Or is it a throwback to Sinai? Which one is it? Okay. And, and you'll see why it's not just a technical question. It may sound now like a technical question. Like either way, we're doing a bris, right? Fine. But it's not just a technical question. There's a lot of depth to it. And you'll see in the answer that it reveals a brilliant idea, a brilliant truth. But first, but first, but first, I need to tell you something else. And that is, and that is, um, hold on one second. And that is that when it comes to circumcision, when it comes to the mitzvah of Brit Milah, and it comes to the notion of the covenant at Sinai, right? We have two covenants. The, the covenant to Abraham and the covenant that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. It's important to understand the nature and the distinction between the two covenants. So God tells Abraham, you and I, we're going to be, we're in this together. I'm with you, you're with me, right? And uh, it's going to be forever. Me and you and your children, your children with me, me to them, and the circumcision is a sign. That's one covenant. At Sinai, there's another covenant. And that covenant is described in the book of Exodus in text number five. Let's take a look at this covenant and we're going to put a few ideas together as you will see momentarily. All right, text number five. Let's ask um, Dr. Maxi. please read text number five. And he took the book of the covenant and read it within the hearing of the people and they said, all that 
God spoke, we will do and we will hear. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And he said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which God has formed with you concerning these words. So at, thank you. At Sinai, right? When the people said, we will do whatever God wants and then we're going to figure it out. We're going to understand it. We're going to question it, whatever. But first we're going to do, we accept unconditionally to do, right? That constitutes the covenant. And then there's some blood from a sacrifice that's sprinkled near the people. And again, Moses calls it the blood of the covenant, which God has formed with you concerning these words. So who was the covenant with? A simple reading would have it that the covenant was with the people. That was the covenant of Sinai. The 613 mitzvot. Right? Who was the covenant with? Simple reading is that it was with the people of that generation and God. Which then begs the question, so what are we doing? Understand the question. Did we ever enter into the covenant or not? I don't remember doing that. I don't remember any gathering with the blood. Never happened. What's going on? So, thank you very much, but I wasn't there. And if I wasn't there, then there's no covenant. Then I, I didn't agree to it. I wasn't part of it. So, at Sinai, there's a covenant made between God and the Jewish people. And God has His obligations, so to speak. We have our obligations, numbering 613, i.e. the mitzvot. And the question is, well, who agreed to that covenant? And the answer would seem to be the people that were there. And that would seem to exclude us. We weren't there. Now, there is, a, there is a, a verse that tells us that no, the covenant is for all of us. And the question is, how exactly does that work? But let's see the verse that talks about the covenant being for all. Um, Steve, please read text 6a uh, from the book of Deuteronomy. But not only with you am I making this covenant and this oath, but with those standing here with us today before the Lord, our God, and also with those who are not here with us this day. Okay, take a look at what the measure says, 6b. Please continue, Steve. Those in purgatory became alive and rose to their feet, as the verse states, with, with those who are standing here with us today, all those who would be created in the future for all generations stood there too, as the verse states, with those who are not here with us. And this answers the question, why is the covenant for us today in 2020? What kind of covenant? Who accepted the covenant? I don't remember accepting a covenant. The answer is, and the Medrash alludes to it, this is a classic Jewish teaching, and I imagine when I asked the question, some of you were thinking this answer. And the answer is, according to our tradition, every one of us was present at Sinai. It's even a joke. People, uh, you know, people greet each other. Oh, do I know you? Have I met you? Well, at Sinai. Saw you at Sinai. It's like a, Jew, a running Jewish joke. You ever heard that one? Yeah? Uh, it's, a, it's great for parties. Okay, anyway, I'm sure I could find something, uh, something even funnier, but nonetheless. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Our tradition has it that at Sinai, there were two to three million people that were alive in, in souls and bodies. In addition, to, it seems like there were souls in purgatory that stood up. Okay, we'll leave that aside, whatever that means. But in addition, all of the souls that were not yet born were also there at Sinai. And also the souls said, Nasa Venishma, we agree, we're in it. We, we, we accept this covenant and therefore it's binding on all of us because our souls committed to it. Well, now you know. You see that? Now, now you know where the obligation stems because all the souls were there at Sinai. So again, I just want to walk through this, uh, this conversation. We spoke about the Abrahamic um, um, uh, covenant. We spoke about the Mosaic covenant, the covenant at Sinai. We ask the question, well, you know, what, what, what bris are we doing today? Is it for Abraham's Moses? Well, Amonis is Moses. So why in the blessing are we saying that it's the, the bris, the, the, the circumcision, the covenant of Abraham? Which one is it? That was, all, we all, that was before. Now we're focusing on the second covenant, the one at Sinai. And, and, we're, and, and we're describing how our sages tell us that it's not just those that were physically there 
that were there and embraced the covenant and accepted the covenant, but all of the souls that would yet be born and placed into bodies, they were also there, and they also committed to the covenant. In fact, by the way, this has an implication in Jewish law. Lest you think this is like a nice teaching. It's like, oh, it's so nice. It's, you know, it's, um, it's uh, like a drash, like a, like a homily. Uh, you should know it's reflected in Jewish law. I want to share with you a really powerful idea. Again, just to bring out how true this is in Jewish thought, that it even affects the law. So I'm going to give you, this is a completely unrelated topic, but you're going to see how it connects. So Jewish law says that if you make an oath, you have to follow through. If you, if you make a pledge, hey, you promise something, either to do something or not to do something, you got to keep your word. Yeah, the, Torah, the Torah talks about it's one of, the, one of the 613 mitzvot, which is why you actually need an annulment of vows. It's like the legal process to get out of a vow. Either way, when you say something, you, you, you have to back it up. Okay, so that's the general rule. However, in halach and Jewish law, there are certain oaths and vows that don't even take effect. In other words, you say it and it's, you don't have to null it. it, it you're not breaking it. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't take hold. Are you with me what I'm saying? There are certain oaths that you can say that don't do anything. For example, if you take an oath that you are going to take, take an oath that the sun will not rise tomorrow. If the sun rises tomorrow, don't worry, you're not on the hook for anything. You didn't violate anything. Why? Because when you made that statement, it was, it defied nature, and therefore it, it never, it, it just bubamises. It, it just doesn't mean anything. Um, another example of this is if you make a vow to go against Jewish law. If you say, I promise I make a vow, etc., etc., that I will not give so and so any tzedakah. Right? And then you give tzedakah to that person. You didn't break a vow. Because when you made the vow to not give tzedakah, since it's against Jewish law, because Jewish law says give tzedakah, so it doesn't take hold. Are you with me? Did I, did I, did I, does that make sense what I just said? Again, I'm going to reset this, uh, this scenario. Somebody says, I promise, I take, I make a vow that I'm not going to give so-and-so Charity, tzedakah. Halacha says that those words that you just said have no meaning, no significance. Why? Because you're not allowed to make such an oath. Why? Because you're obligated in tzedakah. So it's, like, it's like saying that you promise that the sun's not going to rise tomorrow. Rabbi Salish. Yeah, yeah. I ask you a question. For sure. So would that hold, would that hold in the Holocaust uh, when you had to say that you weren't Jewish. So you're saying because that goes against the reality, so it doesn't mean anything anyway. It's an interesting, it's a very interesting question. It's something to think about. I don't know if I can definitively say either way, but that's an interesting point. In other words, if when you say something that defies reality, Jewish law considers it null and void, like you didn't say anything, so then maybe it would be the same in that case. It's a very interesting point. We would have to look a little bit deeper into that. But let's get back. I'll give you, this is a classic example in halacha. If somebody says, I promise not to do that mitzvah, and they do it, they didn't do anything wrong. Don't worry. Because the original vow wasn't a vow. You know why? You know why? So here, here's, here's the hook. And here's where it connects to the covenant at Sinai and the souls being there. Halacha says, the reason why your vow about not giving charity never takes effect is because you already took a vow to give charity at Sinai. You cannot take a new vow on top of your existing vow. And since your soul was at Sinai and took a pledge for all 613 mitzvot, so the moment you say, I promise not to do a mitzvot, to violate one of them, doesn't mean anything because you already took a vow to do it. So your new vow on top of it doesn't erase the original vow. It just, fall, it just slides right off. And therefore, it doesn't have any effect. My, my point of bringing this is to say that when we say in Judaism, right, our tradition is that all the souls were there at Sinai and, and accepted the covenant with God at uh, Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, to receive the Torah. We were all there. We don't remember it, but our souls were there. It's not just a story. It has legal ramifications. That's why 
an oath that goes against halacha, Jewish law, is not an oath. Because you already pledged to do it. You and I already pledged at Sinai to do it. Yes? Does this, is this point? Let's leave the vow aside. Is the core idea that we were all there, the souls were there at Sinai? Yes? Is that coming through? Yes? Okay. Yes. Now. Good. Their the challenge is, the problem is, that at Mount Sinai, it was just the souls, not the bodies. For the majority of people, or souls, right? For the majority of us, for all of us, our bodies weren't there. Listen, if you were there physically, and you're still here today, man, kalakavod, what are you eating? Like, what are you, what's the secret? Like, tell me the secret for 3,300 years of living. Listen, obviously, none of our bodies were there then. It was the soul. This gives, this inherently affects and slants the mitzvah experience. The mitzvot that were given at Sinai that we accepted, that our souls accepted. Think about a mitzvah. Think about the mitzvah of, let's talk about giving tzedakah. So you take a coin, you take a, a quarter in your hand, right? You put your hand in your pocket, you pull out a quarter, and you put it into a tzedakah box. Yeah, you did a mitzvah. Uh, one of the greatest mitzvot, the, the mitzvah of giving tzedakah. Fantastic. But I want to ask you a question. You gave tzedakah, in that case, you gave it with your hand. You took the coin, you put it in. Does your hand, sh- does your hand physically, does your hand change? Did your hand change physically? Did something about your hand um, get altered in any way? Does it look differently? Can you look at a hand and ascertain by sight which hand gave the charity and which hand didn't give the charity? If you had a hand line up, you had five hands, right? Disembodied, not really, but just isolated, just the hand. Five hands in a lineup. Could you visually pick out which hand Gave the tzedakah out of the five? Of course not. I mean, unless you're a tzaddik and has... two hands. There you are. I only have two hands. Who has the five hands? So listen. How can I pick five when I only have two? Exactly. I told you to pick one, but even that you can't do because how can you tell? Because a mitzvah, a mitzvah doesn't change, doesn't change the physical body. Now, the mitzvah changes everything spiritually. Hold on. The mitzvah changes reality spiritually. And a mitzvah has an imprint on the physical universe. But on our bodies, typically, a mitzvah doesn't change the body. Let me give you another example. Okay, let's let's go through more examples. You light Shabbat candles. Do the same hand lineup. Can you tell which hand lit Shabbat candles? Maybe if the wax or dripped or the thing... Okay, but let's say you pulled it off, you know, with, uh, without any, without, uh, you can't tell. Another example. Um, another example, prayer. You just davened. You spent an hour in prayer. Can you tell the lips that davened? Do they look different? Another example. I was going to give the example. I'm thinking about tefillin, but wrapping tefillin, you kind of sometimes, you do see the marks. It depends how tight you wrap it. Sometimes it leaves a bit of an impression. But an hour or two later, or half an hour later, right? You can't tell which arm put on tefillin. So what I'm trying to bring out is simple. I hope it's straightforward. And that is that the mitzvot that we do, typically, make a big difference in this world And make a big difference above and below on every level. However, with one exception, they don't physically change the physical body of the human being. Now, it changes our nature and it changes our temperament and it makes us more of a mensch, obviously. goes without saying. But the physical body, right? Again, physical body, physical body. You do a lineup. Can you tell the person that just did the mitzvah? Not really. Not really. Why? Because a mitzvah doesn't change the body. And there's a beautiful idea here connected with what what I said before about the covenant. Think about it. The mitzvot that we do come from Sinai. And at Sinai, who accepted it? Which element of us accepted the mitzvah? The body 
or the soul? Who accepted the covenant? Our bodies were not there. Our bodies were not there. It was our soul that accepted the covenant, which is why the Rebbe says, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, since our souls were there, not our bodies, that's why when we, do, when we do a mitzvah, what part of us is directly impacted? Our souls. And which part is impacted? Certainly, but you can't see it with the eye? The body. Just like at Sinai, you couldn't see the body with your eye. Are you with me on the, the, the parallel? Right? At Sinai, you couldn't see the bodies of us. Only the souls were there. So too, when we do a mitzvah today, the bodies don't change visually. Of course, at an energy level, yeah, but that's on a spiritual level, right? Once I was saying, the physical body doesn't change, but the spirit changes. There's one mitzvah, one second, there's one mitzvah that's an exception, and I'm sure you can think of which mitzvah I'm talking about. There's one mitzvah that breaks the rule. There's one mitzvah that is the exception to the rule. Again, the rule is, you do a mitzvah, you can't tell on the body. Folks... Without getting too specific, I'll get specific, but whatever, not too graphic. There is one mitzvah that after you do that mitzvah, you can apps. I'm not going to say put it in a lineup. Oh, I, I'm not going to say that, but you can absolutely tell if that mitzvah was done. Can you tell me which mitzvah that is? Circumcision. Circumcision. Brit Milah. Every other mitzvah, light Shabbat candles, hand is the same. Give tzedakah, hands is the same. Wrapped, fill in, same. Pray, lips are the same. Smell the spices, havdalah, nose is the same. Whatever you do, mitzvah you do, the body doesn't change. There's one mitzvah of the 613 that after you do that mitzvah, yeah, it's different. The, not, not the spirit, also the spirit, but even the body. There's one mitzvah that even affects the body, the way the body looks physically to the eye. And that is circumcision. So, we're not, I didn't connect all the dots yet, but this is a major idea. And we're almost ready to advance it forward and, and, and tie all the strings together. So the Rebbe explains that the mitzvah of circumcision has two elements to it. It has a Sinai element to it and an Abrahamic element to it. The Sinai element is how a mitzvah affects the spiritual nature of all reality. Like our souls were at Sinai, every mitzvah that we do affects the spiritual energy of the world. Yeah, every mitzvah that we do, you get tzedakah, you put tefillin on, you eat kosher, you smell basamim, you pray, you light Shabbat candles. Every mitzvah that you and I do, it radically affects the spiritual energy of everything, including our bodies, by the way the spiritual energy of our bodies. It affects everything on an energy level. And that all comes from Sinai. And that's why Rambam says that every mitzvah we do today is a throwback to what? Sinai. But there's one mitzvah. There's one mitzvah that has a second element. And that is Brit Milah. Where does the element of physical change come from? Not from Sinai because our bodies weren't there. It comes from Abraham. It comes from Avram Avinu. It comes from the original covenant that God made with Abraham, which means that Brit Milah is the one and only mitzvah that actually pays, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It actually honors and acknowledges both covenants, the covenant at Sinai and the covenant to Abraham. It's the, Sinai, it's the, uh, the Mosaic, the Sinai covenant that speaks to the spiritual impact of Brit Milah, and it's the Abrahamic covenant that speaks to the physical, bodily change and covenant of Brit Milah of circumcision. This is the reason why when we do a Brit today, we do it because God told Moses at Sinai that we should do it. But when we do it, there's a physical change, and that comes from Abraham. God told Abraham at the ripe old age of 99, you've done a lot, You've created a, a ton of good and a ton of light into this world. But I want even your physical body to be impacted by what you've done, by your connection to me. And ever since, we've been doing that. So the mitzvah itself 
The mitzvah, in other words, within circumcision, there's two elements. There's the mitzvah and what the mitzvah accomplishes. So the mitzvah of bris milah, brit milah, circumcision, we do because God told Abraham, God told Moses. But the specific form of the impact of the mitzvah, that's a throwback to Abraham. And here's the final point. Maybe not the final point, but the, to totally close the loop. And the message from all of this is that every mitzvah should be done in a way like Brit Milah, where you should almost be able to see the impact of the mitzvah even on the physical body. How amazing would it be if after davening, after prayer, you walk out of that experience and someone could look at you and say, that's a person that just prayed. Or after you visited someone in the hospital or after you called someone in a, that's in a bad place that you would see someone else after that, they would say, that person just did a mitzvah. Or after you study Torah, you, you meet someone and they would say over FaceTime and they would say, wow, your face is luminescent. Your face is, is uplifted. Your face is shining. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because really at the end of the day, the goal of every mitzvah is to have the deepest and most significant impact possible. So there's only one mitzvah that has the literal, biological impact as Brit Mila does. But every mitzvah is meant to emulate, not 100% obviously, where we don't etch tefillin in our arm, we don't burn our fingers with the candles, lighting Shabbat candles, that's not what we do. But emulate to the utmost possible the effect of Brit Mila to actually have that transformation. Because at the end of the day, as we've discussed countless times, the purpose of Torah and mitzvot is to make an impact. Not just on the spiritual nature, but even on the physical nature. So this is the meaning of Brit Milah. This is the tale of two circumcisions. This is why, although we observe the commandment because God told Moses at Sinai, when we observe it, the impact is the impact that God gave to Abraham, an impact that could be seen in an obvious way on the person's body, without any shadow of a doubt, yes, this mitzvah has had an impact on this person. And that is the way we are meant to carry our Yiddishkeit. That's the way we're meant to carry Torah mitzvot in a way that it does make an impact. Again, it's never going to get as you know, obvious maybe as Brit Milah, but we're meant to get as close as possible. So that's the core idea. But now I want to share with you another application, which I think is really important. And that is that oftentimes we think that if we're going to do something religious, if we're going to do something Jewish, so we might need to eliminate our, individu our individuality and we need to, in a sense, become one of the group. We have to let go of our individuality and become part of the collective. So part of the community, part of the collective. What about my individual talents? So for example, let me give you a very, very, very practical example. So somebody grew up, let's say, in, in, in a non-religious home. And then at a certain point, maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe after college, they discover, discover, religion and they discover religious observance and they decide, you know what? They want to become a Baal Shuvah. They want to become, they want to start embrace Torah and mitzvot in, a, in an even deeper way, in a greater way. Fantastic. Oftentimes, when a person is on that journey, they feel like they need to, they need to turn away from who they were. They need to let go of their personality to become this new persona, one that looks like other religious or observant Jews. Are you with me what I'm saying? Yes? Yeah? And, and the Rebbe's approach was always, no. You have to utilize your individual and unique talents. In your newfound, uh, you know, excitement for Judaism, don't drop your past. Don't drop who you are. Don't drop your personality. Integrate. Take your personality. Take who you are and bring it into this experience. So, for example, you had rock and roll stars. Yossi Piamenta. Israeli fellow. Yossi Piamenta was like the Jewish Jimi Hendrix. 
This guy was like an incredible, he passed away a few years ago, incredible guitar player. And he became religious. And he was thinking, well, maybe he should drop his music. That's not, that's not, that was never the, the approach of, of Chabad or the Rebbe. The, the approach was always, you're religious, great. So make, uh, make, make some music uh, that speaks to, to the values that, you now, that you're now living and embracing. So don't, don't lose your talents. Don't, don't drop your talents and individuality. Integrate it. Bring it into that experience. This, these two approaches, the approach where one might say, you know what, I can't be who I am. I have to you know, discard my identity to become one of the masses. Versus the approach of no, 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 take who, retain your individuality and bring it into the experience. That's the difference between a mitzvah that's soul centric or body centric. You see, when it comes to bodies and souls, souls are a part of one collective. Right? All souls are essentially the same energy, but bodies, they're all different. Souls are one, and bodies are unique. And so here's the question when we're engaged in our Jewish activities, is it Soul, or is it also body? Do we do it in a way, I remember I mentioned before, like most mitzvot don't have an impact on the body. It's just a spiritual experience that has an impact spiritually. But now I'm bringing it into psychological terms. When we do a mitzvah, do we feel like we can't be ourselves? Which means that we're leaving go, um, leaving, letting our body go, so to speak, and, and moving into a soul state when doing this mitzvah? Or are we able to Hold on to our body, our individuality, our uniqueness, and do a mitzvah in a way that no one else has ever done it before because no one else was ever us doing the mitzvah. Of course, the ideal, as you can imagine, based on this conversation, is to bring our unique qualities into the mitzvah experience so that when we pray, it's us praying. We don't turn off our own brain and just pray. It's us who are praying. When we give tzedakah, it's us giving tzedakah. When we study Torah, it's us studying Torah. When we light Shabbat candles, it's us lighting Shabbat candles. Kosher, Shabbat, holiday observances, etc. That is the goal. So my blessing for all of us here tonight, my blessing is that we should all, number one, recognize the power of the unique gift that we've been given of Torah and mitzvot. And that is the power to bring light into the world. And then we should remember the unique mitzvah that is circumcision. And that one mitzvah that is a hybrid, Sinai-Abraham, Moses-Abraham mitzvah. It's a tale of two covenants, two circumcisions, right? When we remember the mitzvah of Brit love circumcision, we can then recall and remind ourselves that the value of a mitzvah is even more than just bringing light into the world. It's about making an impact on our very identity and character. Just like Brit Mila literally creates an imprint, an impact on the physical body, so too the mitzvot that we do for ourselves and with regard to others should make an impact. We're seeking to make an impact that can be physically seen in this material world. And that is the greatest form of a mitzvah. A mitzvah that transcends the limitations of spirit and enters the physical parameters of the material body and the material world. And this also ties into the, to the second point that I made, that when we do a mitzvah, let's bring our individual unique identity into it and not turn ourselves off to do something spiritual. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. I'm here to answer questions and continue the conversation. But I want to thank you all for being here. It's, uh, it's quite meaningful to spend an hour on Wednesday studying Torah, and I'm grateful to have this platform and this opportunity to do so. I, I will mention as a, uh, as a point of, uh, of announcement that we had a, we started a course last night called Secrets of the Bible. And that course um, uh, teaches the Kabbalah of, of Torah, and it's, uh, it's an incredible course. We, st we started last night. We're doing it also again tomorrow at noon. And it's going to continue next week and the week after. It's a six-part series. If you're in, and if you already took it, I hope you enjoyed it. If you're not in yet, 
It's not too late. There's always a way to get in and a way to catch up and a way to be part of it. So let me know if you want to get in. I also should mention that next week, let me think about this, next week, um, so we'll be back here Wednesday night, same bad time, same bad channel. Next Thursday night is a very special event with attorney Kenneth Feinberg, attorney from Washington, D.C. The topic is putting a price on life. How do we give value? How do we assess how much a life is worth when a monetary assessment has to be made and how do Jewish values affect that? Kenneth Feinberg was directly involved with the 9-11 payouts and with other government and business um, monetary funds given to victims of various tragedies and natural disasters. And he has had the, uh, the opportunity to meet with individuals, meet with victims' families, and have those conversations. How do you have a conversation with someone and tell them how much their loved one is worth? You know, we're going to give you a million dollars, two million dollars. How, how do you, how, first of all, how do you put a number? And number two, how do you have that conversation? How do, do, does Jewish values... Uh, or do Jewish values, which speak of the infinite value of the human being, how does that play into his, his work um, uh, in, in, in that regard? You can Google, Google Kenneth Feinberg if you want to look him up. He is a very, very um, celebrated individual. He's, been, he's a tremendously proud Jew, and we're going to have him next week, Thursday night, in Town Jewish Academy for our community, live, Q&A afterwards, the full deal. So join us. Again, the website is intownjewishacademy.org. Um, check out the website for more upcoming opportunities. I, I do also want to mention breaking news tomorrow. It's actually live on the website right now, but tomorrow it will, I think an email will go out tomorrow. Um, Alex, one second. You signed up for the course, but did not get the link. Is that for the Secrets of the Bible course? Yes. Oh, gosh. Wait, that, that should not have happened. Okay, I'm going to email you a link right now. Um, okay, I'm going to email you a link right after the class, and my apologies that you, that you did not get that email. Um, okay, one more thing, and this is the breaking news. We are working in conjunction, we just put it together, with JNF in doing a virtual tour of Israel. So right now, if you want to visit Israel, it's a little complicated, right? Good luck getting to Israel. And honestly, people that are tour guides in Israel, it's very difficult right now for the tour, guide, for the, for tour guides in Israel because business is um, zero. So we're taking this opportunity. We're hiring a tour guide. We have a bus that we're putting together with a limited number of spots, like you know, 20, 30 spots, and, um, and it's available. So you get your spot on the bus, and every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, not this coming week, but the following week, you will have an opportunity between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. to join the tour and to enjoy Israel, the sights and the sounds, and discover what is life like on the ground today, what are the opportunities, what are the challenges, Etc. And of course, it helps support the proceeds are going directly to the tour guide who um, this will certainly benefit. So you can check it out on the website. Ideally, the best thing is to sign up directly on the JNF website because they're, um, they're, they're directly hosting the, uh, the signups. I also put it on our page just because I didn't want to make it complicated and confusing. And if it goes on our page, then I'm just going to redirect it to their page. But it's easier if you go on our page, on our website, anytimejewishacademy.org, you look for it. It's called the Israel Virtual Tour, a virtual tour of Israel. Um, and the best thing is to click on the link. The JNF website will take you there. You sign up, and you're in. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with the tour guide. And then Friday, an hour with the rabbi before Shabbat discussing Israel and what we've seen. So, again, it's a great opportunity to see Israel. It's a great opportunity to connect with a tour guide in Israel and to help, as I'm sure you can understand how that's a very important thing right now. And um, it's, a, it's a mitzvah all around that will also greatly benefit all of us and, and, and have a wonderful experience together. You can bring some wine to the bus, the virtual bus, and uh, it's like we have two hours together sightseeing in Israel. So it's going to be a lot of fun. This is a top tour guide, by the way. Really, uh, 
really um, special individual. So check it out on the website. I'm not posting the link, but it's there, intownjewishacademy.org. Click on, on uh, upcoming or live events, whatever it is, and you'll see it there. It's the virtual bus tour of Israel. Okay, folks, thank you very much. Bev, good to see you. Richard and Susan, good to see you. Thank you. Fran and Nate and Gerard, yes. Any questions or comments before we check out? Question, Rabbi. Yes. Bye. Bye, Richard, go ahead. Can uh, when, was, uh, when was Moshe circumcised? Was it not before Sinai? I don't recall. For sure. Moses was circumcised. No, Moses was born circumcised. Moses was born circumcised. Wait, so why wouldn't that be the cover of... of no, he was born no, no, no. circumcised on the eighth day. What? Yeah, he was born circumcised. They, I'm sure they drew blood on the eighth day. You know, Richard, well, when I said the circumcision of Moses, I meant the covenant that God created at Sinai with all the 630 commandments, including circumcision. Okay, so, so when, when, was the, when was the first circumcision of the Jewish people as, as, as a group? I don't know. I, after, after Sinai. I mean, from that point on, it would have been after Sinai. I don't know if they did like a group, uh, you know, they had just, you know, Whatever. I, 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 I don't know that there was an... Abraham circumcised. Correct, correct. But his... Circumcised. But that's not... No, Richard's... His people. Yes. Richard's question is, after Sinai, when did they take that... When did they do that mitzvah? I don't know. They, uh, they made it happen. All right. Linda, you, Linda, you had a question. Abraham... Wait, everybody. Abraham circumcised <laughs> all of the people right. in this household. Right. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Linda, go ahead. In the text. Yes. I have a question. Rabbi, Rabbi Ari, in, in text number 10, yes. uh, the Rebbe is talking about the entry of the godly soul into the male body yes. at the eighth day with circumcision. So when does, it, when does the tradition consider that the godly soul enters a female's body? Excellent question. So in general, what we're speaking today um, is about the concept of bris, a brit milah, and the concept of the notion of something impacting the body. And how we're meant to take the inspiration from this one mitzvah and, and bring it to the other mitzvah as well. And, and what we said before, individual, individualism, etc. Your question is, well, on a practical level, what about girls who don't have a bris, don't have a brit milah? So here's the very, very important thing. In Jewish law, and this is really important, and thank you for asking it, and I should have mentioned it before. Jewish law considers girls to be born circumcised. So they are Nashim Kemal Yadamya. That's what it says in, in the Talmud. It's Aramaic. It says women are circumcised. In other words, it's already, it's already there. That, that's already done. There's what, what has to be done for a male with a procedure on the eighth day, that's already done. Now, oh. at, at the same time, there is a tradition, a really beautiful tradition, that says... Um, that we should do a naming for the girl at the earliest opportunity by a Torah reading after her birth. And that naming also is kind of a nice ceremony that it's not, I mean, it's obviously not, uh, it's not, you're not, you're not actually, you know, it's, it's not a bris, but it's also kind of um, the energy and the symbolism is also there. But on a, on a, on a halachic, on a legal, on a legal level, women, girls, right, females are, considered to have a bris without a procedure, right? Without it, without a, yeah, without any, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the simple answer. So the soul, everything is, uh, it's good to go. It's good to go. We're all good to go. Yes. <laughs> By the way, what I, anyway, there's this, this, I, I personally think that it's reflected in the natures of men and women. I don't want to get into, listen, it's, Everyone is different, obviously, and you can't just slice things down like that. But in general, my, my impression is that, look, again, I, don't, I hesitate to you know, divide things along these lines, but there are some people that are more intuitively spiritual and some that need another layer, another procedure, another reminder, another this. That's why traditionally... Men wear the kippo, the ki the kippa, and the tzitzit, and 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 that's not typically a tradition for women. And and the, the simple explanation is that guys need reminders because we get distracted. That's 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 the thing. That's I, 
I'm going to say it in the nicest way. I, listen. I, I, I know what you mean. That's it. So, there are people that have it inherently, and then those that need an extra, you know, you need to tie the string around the finger to remember the shopping list. It's just, and I, I'm not talking about shopping, but it, whatever. It's spiritual shopping. All right, so that's it. Um, I'm not trying to put down guys. I happen to be one. It's just, I can, I'm speaking from experience. It just, it is what it is. And I know it's not all guys. They're not all women. I get it. And I'm not trying to make, you know, divisions and lines. But it's just, these are some ideas that are discussed. And I'm sharing some in, uh, on the heels of that question. All right. Good. It's great to see you all. It's great to study. And uh, let's keep on going. Richard, you have another question? Or was that a buy? I can't tell the difference. If I was selling, if it was an auction, you would be on the hook now for the Picasso. You would be on the hook, my friend. You just raised your hand. You got it. You got to fork over the, uh, the cash. Bye, Nate. Bye, Nate. Enjoy. We'll see you. How adorable. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. See you later. Take care.